KCIUT 89.5 FM, celebrating 35 years as the sound of your city. Proudly student and listener-supported community radio. The views and opinions expressed on the following program are those of the producers and or the persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of CIUT-FM. Hello and welcome to The More the Merrier. This is Donna G here with you for the next hour. Coming up on today's show, I'll be interviewing Helen Juvenin and Tyler J. Seguin about the Guild Festival Theatre and their production of Chekhov's Shorts being performed at the Greek Theatre in Scarborough. After that will be my chat with Heidi M. about some happenings around town and our review, our response to the latest immersive happenings, which is Immersive King Tut happening at Lighthouse Artscape. Keep it locked to CIUT 89.5 FM because, of course, I'll have wonderful music for you within the hour.
You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. This is Donna G. And joining me are Helen Juvenan and Tyler J. Seguin, who are co-artistic directors of the Guild Festival Theatre. Welcome you both to The More the Merrier. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donna. Great to be here. My pleasure. Now, I wanted to make it to your last uh, production, The Red Priest, uh, by Mieko Uchi. Did I say that right? I believe it's Mieko Ochi. Ochi. Mieko Ochi. Yes. And I looked at the production um, talk on your Instagram. I looked at the costumes. I (laughs) I listened to the music and I just could not make it out to Scarborough to to see it. So, uh, Helen, how was the reception to the Red Priest? It was fantastic. Uh, You know, pretty full houses. Uh, The reviews have all been fantastic. Really a great audience response. We got a lot of beautiful comments um, from our audience. And uh, yeah, I I really loved working on this production. I, I was kind of, I surprised myself, I think. In what way? Because last year I directed Saltwater Moon and I'd been living with Saltwater Moon for like 20 years of my life. And mm-hmm. Red Priest, I, I kind of, you know, it's been, I've been thinking about it for a couple of years, but um, I, I actually just ended up really falling in love with the, the production. Wonderful cast members, uh, Sierra Haynes and David Whiteley, they just really brought the show to life. And um, our production designer was Eva Notion. She it just made this beautiful, beautiful production. And luckily we actually have five more shows in Prescott next week uh so we're taking it on tour to st lawrence shakespeare festival so okay. i get to i get to yeah. have my cast back for five more days <laughs> so you are not only um co-director of, of uh the theater uh but you you also directed the red yes. priest yeah and uh this time it's tyler who's directing yeah we uh, share duties <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the upcoming production is Chekhov's Shorts. And ta- who decides who gets to direct? Do you alternate or? Uh... We, I mean, it's a conversation. Uh, we looked at, uh, we look at the plays that we're interested in. And we, we sort of say like, well, which one, which one do you want? <laughs> <laughs> which one, who's, who's more suited to which one? And, and uh, Chekhov's Shorts is, it's, uh, it's right up Tyler's alley in terms of like uh, the, the zaniness and the the, the really active um, show that it's going to be. Whereas, you know, Fred Priest was a little more subdued. <laughs> Helen does beautiful work <laughs> and I cause some chaos. So you're okay with being called zany? <laughs> <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> Okay, so Chekhov's shorts, you're dealing with uh, four of uh, Chekhov's short plays. Tell the listeners the names of the plays, first of all. Yeah, so the original plays that that this adaptation is based on are uh, The Bear and The Proposal, which are pretty famous. I'd say most people um, who know Chekhov are, are familiar with that. And then the two sort of lesser known ones are The Dangers of Tobacco and... Uh, the tragic comic hero, um, which we have renamed in in our production instead of the tragic comic hero, we're calling it hysterical his hysterics, uh, and the dangerous okay. tobacco we're calling uh, smoking is bad to make it a little bit more direct. <laughs> okay, so you both worked on the adaptation. How do you work on uh, this together? 
Well, I I would say take took the lead on the adapting on the adapting of the of the texts mm-hmm. uh, because it, it was it was taking uh, the original um, the original texts or you know some public domain um, translations that, mm-hmm. uh, that were available and comparing them to each other and sort of getting the feel of it and you know running the odd thing through through you know translation algorithms uh, to find other other meanings in the original Russian um, and cobbling that together with uh some original text that i that i also wrote to to frame the piece as a vaudeville show and uh and then helen sort of came in after that process and did the the dramaturgical work of 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 sort of tightening it up and sharpening the text helen for people who are not used to the world the word dramaturgy uh can you explain what that means your process um well, I mean, I guess dramaturgical process is different for like every production because it's so entwined with the the um, the people and the work involved. So on on this particular show, it was more about um, you know trying to help decide like what needed uh, extra commentary, what parts of the the original plays could just stand on their own, um, what stuff we could maybe cut if we wanted to make any additions. Yeah, just trying to make it make it. Um, Tyler's version of these stories and not anybody else's version of these stories. So does that mean um, when it goes into rehearsals, Helen, do you then have to stop and say, this is not working when it's spoken out loud? Is that part of your role or is that more of a director's role? It's it's a mix. Tyler's there every day in rehearsal. um, So he's making changes on the fly (laughs) every day. Um, And then I've been coming in um, throughout the process to offer my uh, my opinions on where things are going and help kind of shape it a bit more, seeing what's working when it's on its feet. Because actors are amazing. Um, they can turn something that seems really awful on the page into something really brilliant. Conversely, I've, I've actually found myself making a lot of cuts and a lot of edits um, because I've found that once the actors get things on their feet, they're able to perform things that I had thought needed to be written out. Um, but because they can add that add, that added performative dimension to it, it's like, oh, we don't need that. <laughs> we don't just yeah. say that. They can just do it. Yeah. Um, and that's been a been a really really great process. Now, in terms of the Chekhov plays, what made you choose these four? These four all felt linked by two things. One is the idea of how we behave in in love and relationships, whether that is a yeah, a, a new relationship or, you know, uh, a marriage that is, you know, for 35 years um, and and how you know, we relate to those. It's also, I've also felt like these, these plays were linked by the idea of identity and how we perform our identities and how those can change depending on, on who we're interacting with. Chekhov has this amazing capacity for understanding how people work. Uh, and it's astonishing to me that even a hundred years later, more than a hundred years later, um, the people in these plays feel so familiar. Um, the behaviors are so familiar um, and really can reflect uh, a lot of what we <laughs> still struggle with. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's I think that's why he's revered in so many countries. And there's uh, always a production of his work going on somewhere in some country. Yeah. Um, because I guess it, it because his works always feel contemporary. Yeah, it's it's really it's really incredible, and especially when you think about the difference in time and place that these plays were written. You think, wow, like this is this is exactly the same 
issues that we all have, you know, uh, in love, in relationship, in trying to navigate the strange, strange, messy thing that is being a human in the world. So, Helen, did Tyler approach you with this idea or who came up with the idea of doing Chekhov's shorts in a vaudevillian style? Whose idea was that? Um I don't remember who decided we would we would do the, these plays. Um, we we've been kicking around the idea of doing a Chekhov show because uh, when the when the company started in 2011, the first show was the Cherry Orchard, and uh, we thought it'd be really great to revisit Chekhov um, now that we've reached the 11th season. <laughs> uh, so we started with the idea like, well, what Chekhov do we want to do? And we both really love the the short plays, um, but it was definitely Tyler who came up with the vaudeville. Yeah, I was I was doing some research into the plays, into the shorts specifically, and I, I ran across um, a letter that Chekhov wrote to a to a friend or a colleague, and in it he referred to his short plays as vaudevilles, and I thought, wow, that's like such an interesting way of thinking of them, and it really made me think of of them in in more clown terms in more like sketch like a sketch comedy like you can almost see the, the the beginnings of sketch comedy in these shorts and it really made me made me lit up my imagination with this idea of of, of, of sketch comedy of clown of music hall uh song and dance uh, all as part of, uh, of of a show that could that could really uh, make these these plays sing. Um, so that's what we're doing. Before we continue, Helen, can you describe the setting for listeners who've never been to the theater? Oh, uh, so we perform in Guild Park in Gardens um, at a part of the park that's uh, called the Greek Theater. And it's called the Greek Theater because it's a series of columns and arches that um, were originally a bank building in Toronto, um, which was torn down in, I want to say, the 20s. And, oh, not in the 20s, it was built in the 20s, and then we tore it down in the 70s. Um, and the people who owned the property that is now Guild Park, uh, Rose and Spencer Clark, they saved parts of these buildings um, to, to uh, preserve them. And in 1982, uh, an architect um, turned these pieces into a, a, a stage, quite a stunning um, place to perform. <laughs> We're we have very, very lucky. It's a beautiful park in general, and we, I think... I've described it as it's definitely the most beautiful venue in Toronto, outdoor venue for sure, um, and possibly in Canada. Yeah, um, it's really quite. There's, there's something really special about about you know, the architecture of the stage itself is is beautiful, uh, but you're also there and you're surrounded by by nature. There's there's you know a great backdrop of trees. The sun sets just behind the theater and and sort of pierces through the, the the foliage and the columns. You know yeah. the the the, Scar the bluffs, Scarborough Bluffs, and the lake are just off to your left. I mean, it's always a. a birds flying through and uh a lot of nature sightings we we had uh, a bunny who liked to join us during the red priest backstage <laughs> um yeah <laughs> uh and on occasion we see a deer in rehearsal uh, kind of wandering through the park well um, i was going to ask about some of the challenges of presenting <laughs> theater outdoors uh but you've just mentioned some of them what are some of the other challenges challenges well the big one's the weather um the unpredictability of, of weather the the risk of of rain um but also of heat heat uh we we really last week we were rehearsing and we rehearsed outdoors as well we rehearsed at the greek theater and last week during that heat wave uh it was really it was really tough we were doing we had to shorten days we had to take more breaks um because you know the last thing you want is, is someone in the cast uh or anyone in the company getting you know, heat stroke mm -hmm. in the middle of uh in the middle of 
performance or a rehearsal. And so it's, it's, a, it's a major thing to contend with um, over the last few years. It's been heat. Yeah. What about music? How do you have to adapt the music for that, for, for outdoors? Uh, so we have um, some area mics that we set up um, mm -hmm. stage and, and some uh, speakers that we set up. So we do have some audio support. Um, we try not to, to, to blast it. It's just more for like to enhance the, the natural sound of the space. Um, Depends a little bit on the show too, because yeah. the Red Priest, uh, the one we, we just finished there, uh, it was a more acoustic show. And so having a lighter touch with the, the, the audio support, you know, was, I thought was really, really great part of it. Uh, check out shorts because it is set in a vaudeville as a vaudeville show. Uh, we do have a piano, we have an accordion, uh, everyone's a singer. Um, and we have, you know, so there are microphones on stage that they use, uh, as performers during, during particular songs. Um, and so there's a little bit more, uh, more music to it. And, and so there's a little bit more you know, infrastructure around that. So let's uh, talk about the plays themselves. Do you move from one to the other? Are they intertwined? How how does that proceed? We move from one to the other. So we, you know, we do the proposal, we do uh, the, the hysterical hysterics, and then smoking is bad, and then the bear. Um, the, in between the plays, there's, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of extra performance uh, from, from you know, the, the company of actors as, as a vaudeville troupe. Well, I was wondering, do you have like dancing dogs or? <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, this is it, dancing dogs. Oh, great, Donna. Now, <laughs> it, it's music, um, the little comedy bits in between. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think the biggest thing is that is that we've created a bit of uh, room within the plays themselves for the actors to explore things like direct address to the audience so they can turn out either as a character uh, and talk to the audience or as sort of an actor having a comment on what is going on, um, again, as a way of, of, of helping bring it into a contemporary setting where we're not just presenting the plays, but we're also actively... Uh, reflecting on them and commenting on them as, as we do them. Okay. So time to get into the plays themselves. Uh, what is the proposal about? Because I don't always like to assume that people know everything that we're talking about. So uh, synopsis for the proposal. Quick synopsis. Quick synopsis, Tyler. <laughs> uh, yeah. A young, very nervous hypochondriac uh, finally works up the courage to propose to his neighbor, but... Uh, family quarrels raise their head and threaten their future happiness. Ah, okay. And from that, you segue into uh, hysterical... Tragic, hysterical hysterics, yes. Hysterical hysterics, which uh, is the tragic comic hero. Yeah, exactly. Rena <laughs> renamed. <laughs> renamed. Uh, renamed hysterical hysterics. Um, yes, and that one is about a you know a family man who uh, whose family is spending the summer at the cottage though while he works in the city. Uh, and so he's commuting back and forth and is overburdened by uh, the demands on his time to help make everyone else have fun. Um, and we see him at his breaking point. Okay. And smoking is bad for you? Is that um, self-explanatory or? It's, self <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's set up as a, as a lecture about the, about the dangers of tobacco or how smoking is bad for you. Um, but we discover the lecturer's long hidden desires and dreams. Okay. A revelation. And uh, finally, the bear. The bear is is another uh, one about marriage proposal. A, a, um, a, a widow is, is, you know, a widow is in mourning for her for her recently deceased husband. 
and uh, a creditor comes to to demand repayment of a debt, they end up uh, quarreling and challenging each other to a duel. And uh, they have to come see the show to find out what happens <laughs> next. Ah, okay. How many are in your cast? Three. Oh, so they have a lot to learn in, in the yes, various roles. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, yeah, so so it's, it's three cast members. They play 12 characters. They are also responsible for uh, the music, um, both playing the instruments and, and, and the singing. Um, so they are, they are kept busy. Introduce your cast, please. Uh, well, we have Stephanie Falkins and Ada Ballone and uh, Chris Figuera, who are the, uh, the, three, the, three, the three performers in the, in the company. Okay. And um, how do you work with casting? How did they end up in this role? Do you have a roster of actors that you um, pull from? Well, we held auditions in, I can't remember, was it? earlier this year, April. <laughs> April. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had, um, first we had people do self tapes and from there uh, we chose people to come in for um, callbacks and had them play together um, in, in, in a room, which was so rare after these past two years. And uh, yeah, we there were so many to choose from, um, but we settled on uh, three who, who could play instruments, be, be musical was the key and and just a willingness to, to play and have fun. and. Um, and I'm really happy with the, the three of them. They're just really so energetic, so willing to play, so willing to play with each other and play off of each other. And they're just really bringing bringing a lot of energy to the the show. Yeah, they they don't know they had no they didn't really know each other before um, before being cast in the show, and which is always one of those things as a director you think, well, I hope this works. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and fortunately, you know, these three have incredible chemistry. And so they just, they just, they inspire each other. Um, That's so important um, in any, uh, any piece, any be it theatrical or film. It's so important that, that people have chemistry because I've seen things where, People are fantastic actors individually, but they come together and there's nothing. Yeah. So I'm glad your cast um, worked out for you. And uh, what are they thinking of their rehearsals? <laughs> uh, they're they're definitely um, they're definitely feeling pushed. You know, and there's so much. There's 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 songs that they have to learn to sing and play. There's there's choreography. Uh, there's a ton of words. Uh, it is Chekhov after all. And, and yeah you know, is, is not known for being particularly uh, <laughs> minimalist in his writing, uh, and nor am I. So, um, so I, I think, and, you know, and, and bouncing between, you know, all the characters and all the pieces and, and, uh, and being part of the creation process. When we went into this, the script was most, was I'd say like 90% there, but we definitely spent the first week uh, trying things, you know, trying, trying new jokes and, and new bits and, and seeing, you know, what worked really well and what, and, uh, and what things we wanted to replace. And so the cast is has been incredibly enthusiastic uh, and incredibly generous with you know with their ideas and their talents, um, and I, but they're, they're they're definitely they're definitely feeling feeling pushed, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I they're always say this is a Tyler show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're back to the zany. Okay. Yeah, well, and, and and all watching them like work so hard in the like we talked before in the weather in the heat. I'm just like I'm just so impressed with them and their commitment to it. Right. I was going to come back to that because it's the weather's been it's like a roller coaster um, in terms of 
you know, what we can expect when we step outside each day. Helen, what's the what's the audience capacity? Because I'm sure you set up a number of chairs and then do people, once those chairs are filled, do people sit on the grass or? Uh, well, we, have, we haven't run out of chairs yet. Okay. <laughs> um, it, our capacity is, is, is flexible um, mm. in that sense. We have a certain number of chairs um, available. And then if we, we do reach our limit, we will um, let people bring their own chairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have some blankets and things for people who, who are without anything. Um, but uh, we have a fairly good capacity since we are outside. Um, and even, even when we, we max out, um, there's still lots of room. I don't know how to explain that. Like it's, we're, we have a lot of space. Yeah. So where you, I haven't been to the locale, so I'm just imagining from what I've seen on the website. Yeah. So, um, so we, we set up chairs uh, for each performance. Um, so people don't have to bring their own, but uh, what are the prices of admission? Uh, it's between twenty and thirty dollars. Um, so thirty dollars is our regular price. Twenty five dollars for preview, which is the eighteenth, and we have uh, a youth ticket, which is twenty dollars. Okay, and the dates of performance, please. That would be August eighteenth is our preview. August nineteenth is opening night, and then it uh, performs. Um, until the August 28th, except okay. Monday. <laughs> yeah, except Monday. Yeah. Okay, I just have to rest after what, <laughs> after what uh, Tyler's putting them through. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, they deserve it. Yes, I'm sure. And I'm hoping that I can make it to this one uh, because I want to head back to Scarborough, it's uh, where I grew up. Uh, Amazing. <laughs> and um, so I want to go back. You know, I'm always promoting shows that are in Toronto. So it's time it flows the other way as well, <laughs> you know, out to, to Scarborough so people don't have to travel downtown to experience yeah. the arts. Yeah. So that's the importance of the the Guild Festival Theatre. Um, how long have you been co-artistic directors? Uh, it's been three years. So 2019, August 2019. And then COVID hit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's been it's been a roller coaster being charged. Uh, yeah, last last three years. Yeah, well, you're still around, which says something that um, you'll only uh, get bigger and better from here. So, uh, Helen and Tyler, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Chekhov's shorts. And as you said, preview eight August eighteenth, opening night on the nineteenth, and runs till the twenty eighth. And the website, Helen, for people to find out more about the plays, the theater, and the actors. Guildfestivaltheater.ca. Wonderful. Tyler, thank you for uh, directing the piece that I will see uh, (laughs) in a a few uh, weeks. And Helen, thank you so much for talking about um, your aspect of the theater and co-adapting the play. Thank you, Donna. It's been a real pleasure to chat with you today. My cutie pie, why don't you give me the eye? Oh, how you make me shy, my little cutie pie. Why, oh, why, my cutie pie, do you play such games? Cry, my cutie pie. Why don't 
would die My little cutie pie The sound of your city. Stream CIUT at www.ciut.fm. For those of you just joining, you're listening to The More the Merrier. I'm Donna G. And coming up next is my chat with Heidi M. Heidi is an arts and culture writer whose work can be found at highsmusings.ca. She's joining me to talk about our experience at Immersive King Tut and also to chat about a couple of events that are happening around town. Another immersive event called Trojan Girls and the Outhouse of Atreus. We will also be talking about the Bloor Street Culture Corridor and a couple of events that are happening there. So Heidi, welcome to The Morning Marrier. Welcome back. Oh, thanks, Donna. Nice to be back. Let's get things started with um, Immersive King Tut. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done some posts um, on Instagram that look quite lovely. Um, contextualize uh, for the listeners what Immersive King Tut is all about. Sure. So it's very similar to the other immersive events that uh, Lighthouse Immersive is sort of running in the city, like the Van Gogh, the Frida Kahlo, the Klimt. Um, And this year is the 100 year anniversary of the discovery of King Tut's tomb by the British archaeologist Howard Carter. And um, this sort of immersive experience follows King Tut. Um, as he goes on a journey through the afterlife and tries to bring light um, to his people. So that is the premise of this immersive King Tut experience. You and I went to the opening mm-hmm. um, and 
and you've been to other immersives before I haven't. So Mm -hmm. can you share your experiences about other uh, immersives and how it compares to to King Tut? Sure. Um, So I've experienced uh, the Frida Kahlo one, the Klimt, and um, I think maybe those are the two. Uh, that I could recall, and now the King Tut immersive uh, experiences, and the uh, the first two were in a bigger area of the building, so you were able to, I guess, walk around in a bigger space, but there was also sort of um, a space in the middle where you could go up the stairs and have a different vantage point or viewpoint um, to feel a little bit more immersed, so that's one difference with the immersive King Tut one, which is in a smaller space. And there is, you're basically at one level of your eyesight through the experience. So I felt that difference. So it kind of took away for me um, in that sense of feeling like I was immersed in, in the story or the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I haven't been to the, any of the other immersive, so I didn't have anything, uh, to compare it to. And mm-hmm. I was excited about seeing it because I'd heard such good things, um, about the Van Gogh and, um, especially the Klimt. I know friends who really enjoyed that and I was sorry to miss that one. So mm-hmm. walking in, I was in the one room and then I expected to move on to another room. But this one is different. As you said, it's in the one room. So I was standing for a long time, um, which initially fascinated me because the floor is covered with uh, with sand, um, <laughs> in quotation marks, sand. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was wearing sandals, so I really felt it <laughs> under my feet. And it was interesting to watch the light play on the floor as it changed mm-hmm. from sand to to brick to sort of flagstones and, um, you know, echoing the pyramids. And so that was fascinating. And the gold of the, the wash of the gold in the underground underworld, mm-hmm. sorry, um, that's displayed around me was um, fascinating as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that I needed a seat. Um, in order Mm -hmm. to enjoy it. Uh, Standing was not, um, it was, it was tiring to stand on such a flat surface uh, for so long. Um, And even though I tried to take the pressure off my feet and walk around, um, it was still, um, I didn't feel immersed. Um, Mm -hmm. And what do you feel about the immersive quality of Tut compared to other things that you've seen? Yeah, I think I think the the lack of space to sit might have taken away from it because of the as you said the um, the sand uh, floor, <laughs> and um, so I found that for other uh, immersive experiences you could sit on the floor even, and I did that too. I would stand, I would sit on the floor, I would walk up stairs. So it gave me different opportunities to experience the whole thing around me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's sort of what I missed in this one as well, that there was um, maybe limited sitting, but also you could not sit on the floor unless 
I don't think I would, I don't recall being told that there was um, sand on the floor, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because otherwise I would have been better, better prepared to sit on the ground. Yeah. Um, you know, running so, shoes and jeans. Exactly. <laughs> like you're going to a beach. Yeah, um, exactly. I would have other- brought my blanket. <laughs> Exactly. A throw. Um, the other thing I guess I should point out is that the King Tut is um, an immersive animated film. And just reading from my notes here, it's it's telling us a story that is, you know, about ancient his- Egyptian history and culture. And it, it talks about the story of the Amduat, which is an ancient uh, Egyptian funerary texts considered the oldest known illustrated story. So apparently that was part of the source to create the visuals um, in the immersive King Tut experience, which is great. Um, but at the same time, it's, um, I guess, you need to be there from the very beginning to catch that part of the immersive experience because I guess that's also why there's a timed entrance so that people kind of don't miss the beginning and and in order to understand what they're going into because it's not like other experiences where you know it's going to be more like paintings or drawings that are sort of coming not to life but you know um, being projected on the walls set to music so that's another key difference that is more of a um, I guess an animated film uh, on the wall with narration. Mm-hmm. Yes. And um, I found it at times, um, the voice that was being used, I found it, um, the the clarity wasn't 100%. Um, I think they were going for more for that lower bass effect. Right. And I found after a while, I got tired yeah. of the voice. Mm. So maybe more of an animated voice, depending yes. on what was happening. Yeah. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Would have worked for me. And um, I, the animation is is beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Especially looking at the post that you did on your Instagram, you know, made me flash back and appreciate the beauty of, of the colors. But at the same time, um, I'm thinking of families who might want to go and see this exhibit because King Tut has a draw. And yes. and for them, I would have to say, um, unless you're into the technology of how it's projected on the walls, um, I would say think, think twice about um, whether you want to spend the money or not, especially if you're bringing other people with you because this is not... Um, a cheap event for a family. Mm-hmm. What would what would you say, Heidi? Yeah, I would say that you know I actually had a, a quick question with a friend of mine uh, who has a daughter who's about 11, 10, 11. and she was in, the daughter was interested in the immersive King Tut, and they've already gone to a different immersive experience. And my friend, the mother, liked it. The daughter was sort of eh, I don't know if I really like the immersive stuff. She thought it was more of an exhibit <laughs> about King Tut. So it's interesting, right? How people might perceive the posters that they're seeing about the immersive King Tut experience. Um, I think for families who know that their kids are really into museum type exhibits, this is not the, I wouldn't suggest that for them. I I know that um, the 
afternoon or the matinee shows are more accessible in times in terms of the um the fees it's about 25 bucks a person but if you know that um maybe you're not gonna last standing for about 40 minutes i would probably not recommend that for families or also anybody who who has any mobility issues or you know concerns about standing for a long time Mm -hmm. but you know if you're curious to see what we're talking about if you want to judge for yourself then you know then go and send me the feedback i'd be very Mm -hmm. happy to to hear to hear what you think and you can reach me at ciut triple wciut.fm click on the more the merrier um, but yeah, I, I guess also for me, because it was my first experience, um, and I had such high expectations of this, um, also keeping in mind that I've seen a King Tut exhibit, um, in the traditional museum space, that that was what I had in my mind walking into this. Mm. So my, my expectations were high and I thought I knew what I was going to expect. And so I was disappointed. Um, perhaps if I went again, knowing this, and also if they added a few more seats, my um, my reaction might be different. You know, right. I think with a seat, maybe I could relax some more and focus on what was being said, as well as uh, the projections um, on the walls. So there we are. Um, about uh, Immersive uh, King Tut. And if you want to find out uh, more, uh, the website is immersive-kingtut.com. And we're moving on now to this wonderful title, Trojan Girls and the Outhouse of Atreus. Um, And the website for that is outsidethemarch.ca and it runs until um, August the 28th. So Heidi, you are familiar with some of the work of Outside the March. Um, <laughs> you've seen a couple of shows. So tell us about the couple of shows that you've been, a few, a few words. So basically, Outside the March does uh, theater productions that also include an immersive component, if you will. I went to the Popcorn Double Feature <laughs> a, a few years back before the pandemic, and it was uh, one was sort of an a quote-unquote off-site experience where it's not at an actual conventional theater, but it was sort of a set of sort of escape rooms, if you will, in a VHS store, <laughs> rental store. And we had to find clues in order to move on to like different rooms. And so that was one of the two of the double features. And the second one was called The Flick. And that was more uh, set up in a traditional theater environment, but it was as if we were in an old school type of cinema theater where we are watching the staff who work at the cinema sort of set up um, for the day and the ins and outs of what's happening and you know we were able to enjoy popcorn at the same time so um, I like those sort of experiences where I'm still sort of you know enjoying theater like there are actors involved and and there is a a narrative that's happening, whether I'm involved or not involved. So that's how I I was excited about reading about this new production of theirs. Mm-hmm. It sounds, uh, and I love the title and just, uh, <laughs> you know, reading about it, you know, the ill-fated collision of Greek mythology and Greece mythology unfolding in two locations at the same time. Welcome to New Troy, Canada. 
August <laughs> 2009, 2009, the night of the <laughs> annual Duck and Swing Dance. Odysseus hatches a death-defying promposal. Nestra and King Memnon rendezvous in the outhouse for some old summer lovin'. And Cassandra feasts on raw hot dogs while soothsaying the world's destruction. Ah, such a Cassandra. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it sounds wonderful. The poster is great. It's another immersive experience. Um, I'm going to try and check it out so I can compare it um, to immersive King Tut to see what uh, kind of immersion they will be presenting uh, mm-hmm. for the the audience. And um, so you you so you were in with in a video store for one and then mm-hmm. in a theater for another. And mm-hmm. um, that sounds exciting. How were the people around you in terms of their reactions to what was going like on? Like audience? The audience, like yeah. myself. Yeah. Um, you know, it was really, I think we were enjoying ourselves quite a bit, especially with the VHS one, because, you know, I'm dating myself. I was younger. I would go to like Blockbuster. And it was about that nostalgia of renting a VHS but also finding clues and some of the clues were about movies that you might have watched or, you know, certain stories that you're familiar with. And it was you were assigned to a group. So you were basically, you know, put in a situation where you had to be social. You know, you could be with your friend that if you came with a friend, but then you would still be assigned to a group. So you had to work together as a group to find the clues and find the right answers in order to move from room to room, um, so to say. And so that was really fun. Um, It was in the summer, so it was a little bit hot. (laughs) Um, But um, and the one that was set in the theater, which is called The Flick, uh, that one was it was fun because it was if you knew anybody that worked in the theater, um, you kind of would get some of the jokes about, you know, setting up, the, cleaning the seats and, you know, getting in the audiences and, and the projectionist and um, and you get to sort of enjoy it from your seat. You don't really have to move about as much, but it's still um, it was still as enjoyable as as the more immersive one, I would say. OK. All right. So that um, is Trojan Girls and the Outhouse of Atreus um, outside the march.ca. Up next, Heidi and I will be talking about um, Bloor Street Culture Corridor and some things to do. Now, where do you want to start, Heidi? There's the Great Divide Footwear in the Age of Enlightenment, um, mm-hmm. which is running at the Battershoe Museum. I love the Battershoe Museum. Anything with it's shoes so nice. and I'm there. It's so nice. It's also a very, it's not a huge museum either. So it's kind of nice. You could take your time, take a break, continue, go back. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the history of shoes is so interesting. Very fascinating. Very yeah. fascinating. The development of, of footwear. Um, mm-hmm. over, over the ages. So essentially the footwear in the Age of Enlightenment talks about um, different issues from gender and race to imperialism and colonization. And it features 18th century, 18th century artifacts, sorry, from their collection. Uh, so the idea is that they are um, inviting us to think about these stories of privilege, oppression, danger, desire, and a whole bunch of other things while contemplating the footwear of that age. Yeah, exactly. And I love the historical context of the museum in terms of, you know, what they have on exhibit. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, uh, Curious Minds, Reading the 60s, Writing the Revolution, um, Hot Docs at Home. And mm-hmm. I think the 60s is, is a fascinating um, decade um, worldwide because there were, because of the youth culture, um, because there'd never been so many teenagers in um, around globally. And I think mm-hmm. that's why that what that's what makes it uh, so fascinating for people. Mm-hmm. So, what do you have to tell us about this one, Heidi? Why why is this one drawing you in? Well, I am as you know, I love documentaries, and I I like this Curious Mind speaker series because it's a it's an opportunity to folks for folks to sort of dive into um, an interesting topic, and it could be di- different topics that they they program through the series. I think it's every month, and um, and they have a, a guest speaker that will talk about some of the relevant themes or topics uh, addressed in the documentary or around the time that the documentary was filmed. Um, so this one in particular, um, I've found the 60s and 70s quite interesting myself because I grew up with someone who was coming of age around that time, uh, um, a family member, and he always talked about how this time was so you know, is so pivotal in his um, in his life, I guess, and everything that was happening around that time. And um, I, this one in particular, I think they they will showcase a very important literary figures such as Norman Mailer, James Baldwin, Philip Roth, and um, they basically will also have, I think, a lecturer from UFT, Victoria College, to talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, the context in the film. So, you know, a little bit of education mixed with entertainment, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, Ira Wells, uh, assistant professor of literature at um, mm-hmm. Vic College at UFT, and uh, his I, his name caught my eye because of his recent book on the biography of Norman Jewison at Director's mm-hmm. Life is what it's called. So um, that's why his his name um, caught my attention. Um, there are some other events that are happening um, in terms of uh, hot dogs. Um, mm-hmm. Can you speak about some of them? Sure. So they also have another Curious Minds event, which is the Art of Picasso. And I think it says at home, uh, but I would suggest folks always check the the Hot Docs website, hotdocs.ca, to ensure these are still virtual or if it's now moved to in-person. Um, but again, it's part of the Curious Minds series. I've been a fan of Picasso for a long time. Um obviously about the art. I know he's a complex figure um, as a man, um, but it, it this is sort of a, a journey um, of his, they call him a genius and sort of how his art was part of this modern art movement as well. And uh, apparently in this series, uh, they will have an art historian who will examine the legacy of Picasso in relation to the his artistic influence and other key events of that time. So again, a mix of, you know, learning about a subject that maybe you think you know about, uh, like Picasso, but with a different perspective, hopefully. And this talk is led by the IUT uh, <laughs> link, um, Barbara Isherwood. Um, yes. And she is the host of Arts Inc. TV and a lecturer at the School of Continuing Studies 
at UFT. So this Curious Minds series um, seems very interesting and you've opened mm-hmm. my, you've got my attention at these lectures now um, that are happening this month. In terms of anything else that's coming up, I know for the two of us, mm-hmm. um, the next little while, um, even though it's early for some, Uh, Our minds are on the Toronto International Film Festival, which it's coming up in September. So happily, we are both accredited again (laughs) this year. And um, there have been some film announcements, but um, you and I both look for the smaller films Mm -hmm. that are out there. What are your thoughts about the upcoming uh, festival. Have you had a chance to even look over all your emails or are they like me where you've, <laughs> you know, starred them to go look at them later? Um, so it's interesting because it's a mix of two. So I have starred all the emails in my inbox so I don't lose them and I have a tag for TIFF 2022. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but in social media like Twitter or probably Instagram, I've seen a couple of the announcements and I've retweeted a couple of things. But to be honest with you, because I have a day job as you do as well, I've been too inundated with inbox from that, <laughs> in my inbox from that, that my highest musings email is a little bit behind, which I feel happens towards the end of the week where I start catching up a little bit more. But I I don't know. I think I'm going to have to look at the programs a little bit more carefully. I want to look at the Canadian content, of course. Um, I know you're a fan of Steve Gravestock, the programmer. He's on his way out mm-hmm. um, this year, after this year. So I think we're both going to look forward to supporting some of his selections, no? Definitely, definitely. Um, I've long been a fan of Steve's programming as he and I share a lot of Canadian film and Scandinavian film. So we've had lots to talk about, but Steve might be retiring from TIFF, but you'll be hearing his voice um, on the more <laughs> the merrier for years for to sure. come. Definitely. For sure. um, I love chatting to uh, with Steve about, about film. Um, yeah, I've looked at, I definitely have some Canadian films um, in mind and um, the discovery section as well, because mm-hmm. those are the um, emerging directors that, um, TIFF has identified as being, you know, sort of ones to watch. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's a section that interests me. Um, Haven't seen anything so far in Midnight Madness that's catching my eye. But again, I've had so many emails that I need to go through again and Mm -hmm. sort of um, make my list. My day job this year, I will be working a lot more than last year. So I'm going to have to be really selective in terms Mm -hmm. of what I'm uh, able to see and right. share with the audience um, mm-hmm. as well. So, uh, Heidi, thank you for joining me. And what's coming up on your blog? I might be coming up with a film review in the next couple of days. So um, maybe stay tuned for that. It popped into my mind. So I'm going to say, check out Baby Assassins um, on Haya <laughs> and, and on a streaming service that's available to you. Baby Assassins. It is a hilarious slacker martial arts teenage assassins with day jobs or trying to get day jobs. So look out for that. Oh my goodness, it's so much fun, uh, Baby Assassins. Uh, So 
uh, look out for that. Um, the DVD was just uh, dropped for that as well. So it's, nice. you, can, you can buy it. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you want to watch it again and again. They're, they're just too ridiculous and too much fun. Uh, baby assassins. Again, Heidi, thank you for joining me and having this casual chat about things that are happening in the city. And again, point people to your website, please. Sure. It's hiyemusings.ca, all one word. Thank you so much for tuning in to The More The Merrier. This is Donna G signing off. If you want to get in touch with me at TMTM with Donna G on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget about the CIUT website, www.ciut.fm. Music on today's show was provided by Black Sam. You heard TikTok. And My Cutie Pie by Alex Bird, Juno Award nominee. Leaving you now with Jacko Bacco's A Bit of Tam Tam. Bye-bye.